0: You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Kings, chapter 3, verse number 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days." And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, and made a feast to all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. I have to admit this morning, I'm exhausted. I'm really exhausted. And, and for me, when I'm exhausted, I have no defense mechanisms. Like, I just start crying. I could hardly speak after Keeley read that this morning. Really. And so I I hope this morning to be helpful to you, and I pray that God God will use the message to challenge all of our hearts this morning. During the years when diamonds were first discovered in Africa, so the tale goes, a farmer was intrigued by the great promise of wealth. Only one thing stood in his way. He had to sell his farm to have what he needed to set out on his search to make him wealthy. At last, the deal was done, and he was free, free to pursue his dream. The search was long and painful. Trekking mile after weary mile across deserts and plains, through jungles and mountain passes, the farmer searched for the elusive diamonds, but none could be found. Finally, penniless, sick, and utterly depressed, he took his own life by throwing himself into a raging river. Back home... The man who had bought the farm carefully tilled the land. And one day as he was planting a crop, he came across a strange-looking stone. Carrying it to the farmhouse, he placed it upon the mantle. A visitor to the farm's home saw the unusual stone over the fireplace, examined it, and then turned to the new owner of the farm and said, You have found one of the largest diamonds ever known to man further investigation revealed that the entire farm was literally covered with similar magnificent stones. The farm sold by the first farmer turned out to be one of the richest, most productive diamond mines in the world. I don't know if it's true. You can check it out later. But the fact is that story reminds us that oftentimes we don't understand the treasures we have in our own backyards. And when it comes to our faith, I think often in our own lives, we don't understand the wealth and the treasure we have with the God that we serve, who has been exalted and held high this morning, nor with the gift of prayer. We as believers speak more about, talk more about, have conferences more about prayer than almost any other topic, and yet we do less and less of it. And could it be that we have failed to realize the wealth that has been given to us by our God and this great gift to come into his presence and ask and beg and plead and communicate to dialogue with the sovereign of the universe. In this text, the word ask is mentioned eight times. Eight times we see either God saying, Solomon, ask, and Solomon asking. There's a dialogue, there's communication happening. And though it be by a dream, you'll see later that this is exactly God communicating with him. He is asking, Solomon's asking, God is asking, and Solomon is receiving. He receives what he asked for, and that is prayer, asking, receiving, communicating. And so this morning, I'd like to stay in the text. We've been away from it for a long time, but use our text to see some helpful instructions on the idea of prayer, because it's here. This is Solomon's prayer, and I think this morning, and I hope this morning, that this will be challenging to us, instructive to us, helpful to us, and transformative to us. Helpful instruction on prayer. Let's begin first and foremost with the God of our text. I am concerned that we have tamed the God of the Bible. I think for many of us, when we think of prayer, it's like, well, no big deal. Yeah, just go pray to God. And what we've done is We have brought the God of heaven and the God of the universe down to our level and we've become very casual and comfortable there. And it's disconcerting. We have come to a place in our churches and our lives where we refer to God as the man upstairs or even to say something like, dude. And it's happening all around us that we have brought God down to a level that we can manage him. But I want you to know something that exists in your mind, because that is not the God of the universe. The truth is, the God of the universe, as revealed in creation and the Word and through Christ, he is terrifying because he is holy. When I was a kid, lots of things scared me. But one thing that really scared me was the Wizard of Oz. Do you know what I mean? It's a freaky, weird, terrifying story for a kid. I mean, you have the Wicked Witch of the West or East? Which one got crushed? West got crushed? East side ruled. Okay, East, the Wicked Witch of the East. You know, ah, 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 the cackle she did and the long green fingers, terrifying. And then you had those flying monkeys. I mean, who comes up with that kind of stuff? These flying monkeys coming down and grabbing people. And the most terrifying thing at the start was the Grand Oz. They come in and there's lightning and there's thunder and there's noises and this big head and it's terrifying. Of course, the lying is scared, but everyone's terrified. It was scary to me as a child. But the truth of the matter is, it it doesn't even compare to the awesomeness of the God that we serve. We are so accustomed to coming into his presence that I don't think we understand that men and women throughout centuries have run from the presence of this God. This is not in the verses up here, Dave, so don't try to find it. But let me just read a little bit of, of Hebrews chapter 12. I was listening to this this morning and I was amazed at what the writer of hebrews tells us about when god finally revealed himself to his people on mount sinai verse number 18 of chapter 12 of hebrews says this for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched it's about when god comes down to reveal himself to his people and that burned with fire nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. If you remember Deuteronomy chapter 4, the picture is, God says, I'm going to meet with my people. We're going, to, we're going to enter this covenant together. And when he shows up, the mountain's on fire. There's noise, there's thunder, there's lightning. There's a sound of a trumpet going on, blaring. There's a voice. And the people are like, Moses, we don't want to deal with this. You talk to him. We're not going to. Verse 20. For they would not endure that which was commanded, and if so, much as a beast should touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. I fear and quake. Here is Moses, a man who was familiar, who had met God already in the desert, the burning bush, God had used him for great, miraculous things. And yet, when he he knows he's coming into the presence of this God, he says, I am terrified. Terrified. Now, for you folks who want to believe that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament, and Jesus is not the God of the Old Testament, there's a mean God, there's a terrible God, there's a scary God, and then there's Jesus, you have not read the New Testament. In Revelation chapter one, when John, who the disciple who leaned on the chest of Jesus Christ as they're eating a meal, the Last Supper, right? You want to talk about comfortable? That's comfortable. When he sees the risen Christ, he falls to his face as a dead man. I don't know about you, but I've, I've in my life I've talked to people. That as I talked to them, it was almost like as I looked into their eyes, they were looking to my soul. Have you ever talked to anybody like that? Like, I'm talking to this guy last week, and I'm looking at him, and when I'm talking to him, something wasn't right. But as I'm talking to him, it's like, oh, my goodness, I think he just looked at my soul. <laughs> I mean, And it's like freaky, my, the, the hair on the back of my neck standing up like, this guy just looked at my soul. Is it just me? Whatever. It's just me. Okay, never mind. Uh, Rick, you have. Okay, you probably met the same guy. And... Um, and so, it's like, this guy's looking at my soul. And, and it just shakes you to your core. When the Bible says about Christ, his eyes are like a flame. penetrating. Oh, he looks into your soul. He looks into your heart. He looks into your thoughts and your imaginations. And he sees more than what we see. You are laid bare and naked before him. This is the Christ of the Bible. Revelation goes on to say that out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword, which means that as far as his enemies go, all he has to do is speak the word, and he does, and they are destroyed eternally. Could you imagine that power? I'd like to have that. (laughs) Hey, you, boom, boom. And then, in Revelation chapter 20, the scene of the great white throne, where every unsaved man or woman will stand someday, and the books will be open, and if your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire forever. The scene itself is terrifying. That there's a judgment day coming. And in that section of Scripture, the Bible says that from whose face, the face of Jesus Christ, the heavens and the earth flee. They flee. Listen to me this morning. We have become too casual. The God of heaven is holy, and we are not. And the thought and the idea and the reality of that truth is literally horrifying. So before we even get into this idea of how great prayer is and how great communication is and how great his presence is, we have to see him for who he is. He is holy. And if you are not bought by the blood this morning, you are in trouble. You're in trouble. And no works or efforts or merit or religion or Baptism is going to help you because in that day you will be judged for what you've done with Jesus Christ. You have either trampled under your feet the blood of Christ or you have bowed before him and accepted him as your Savior. Those are the only two options. There is no salvation in any other name save the name of Jesus Christ. So he is holy. This is a God that we are dealing with. And yet, this holy God has made a way for us to come. He has made a way. As horrifying as Sinai was, the Savior now brings harmony to us. Listen to a couple verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse number 15. Listen to what Paul says. Having abolished in his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And he says, through Jesus Christ, now because of what he has done, we have access to God. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13. And this this is becoming one of my favorite sections thinking about the cross. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all you, all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. This is what Christ has done. Is it any wonder that the third stanza of it is well with my soul moves us? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part. But the whole, all of it, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a glorious truth. And so we come this morning understanding that God is holy. In his holiness, it's terrible for us. We are sinful men and women. But through the Savior, there is harmony. And now you and I, You, Okay, Rick from Cleveland. Broken home, broken family, messed up life, dysfunction, right? From Cleveland now, because of Christ, has access to the throne of heaven. I know you're thinking, that's crazy. But I'm thinking about your name right now. That you have access through the blood of Christ. And so, we see that this is the God we serve. But this is God, his initiative, is he came to us, and he calls us to come. He calls us to come. He comes to Solomon, and Solomon in, his, in doing life, and even making bad decisions, God comes to him and says, Solomon, ask. And God comes to his people in our indifference, in our inactivity, in our obliviousness to what's really happening, and says to you and to me, come. He's provided a way. And now he says to his children, And only come, come boldly. It's funny, in my office, um, my kids my whole life, no matter what office I was in, they they never knock, they just come on in. So I apologize to you if you're being counseled by me and my kids walk in. Now they're older now, I think they do, but they always just came in. Why? It was my office, I'm their dad. And they couldn't care less who was in there, because I'm their dad. And God says, listen to me, you can come boldly into my presence, because I'm your father. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ, God makes the initiative he made away. Now, this is our, our incentive. God's generosity. God's generosity. 1 Kings 3, 13 and 14, back in our text, Solomon says, or God says, And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And so we see God's generosity. He says, ask what you want. And Solomon does. And then he gives him what he did not ask for. Believer, listen to me. We impugn the character of God when we think that God is not kind, God is not generous, God is trying to withhold something for us or hold something over us. This is not our God. God says, hey, listen, you ask, I'll give, and I'm going to give you things that you did not even ask for. Because he knows what's best. He knows what we need. He knows what the true blessing is. Our oldest son, when he was four, he really liked apple juice. And I'm, I'm not here to hear from you afterwards. Apple juice is terrible. tall sugar. I couldn't care less. Okay? He just liked it back then. I guess don't feed your kids apple juice. I don't know how it works. It doesn't really matter. Who cares? Anyways, he liked apple juice. And so one day at four, we were in our kitchen, and, and came and opened the, the refrigerator door. And at the bottom was a jar that had a picture of an apple on it. And it was yellowish, whatever apple color is, in nature. And AJ said, I want to drink that. And Kim said, No, honey, that's not for you. And he threw a tantrum. And I'm sitting there watching this happen, and he's throwing a tantrum about, I want to drink that. And Kim said several times, No, no, no. And he's now flipping out at Fort because this is what he wants. And so I said to Kim, Kim, take his sippy cup and fill it up with that juice. And she did. And the juice did have an apple on it, but it was apple cider vinegar. And so he was so happy. He got his cup it was full, and he just chugged that stuff down. Ah! Screaming, crying, I, I maybe for, tw- I don't know, 20 minutes. After that, he never wanted apple juice again, ever. I need this. This is what I want. And so many times in our life, we come before God and say, God, you don't know. I have to have this. I need this, that person, that man, that woman, this job, this amount. I want it now. And God says, wait a minute. I know you think I'm not generous, but I know what's good for you. Listen to what Psalm 8411 says. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. This is our God. He is generous. And this morning, he knows what you need. He knows what I need. And here's his promise: I'm good, and what you really need, I will not withhold it from you. And so we see God's generosity. Now, I want you to see. Secondly, the grounds of this prayer of Solomon. First Kings chapter three, verses six and eight. And Solomon said. Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. And he goes on then to rehearse all that God has done. Listen, my friend, the grounds of our prayer is our past experience with our God. We must um, properly see the past and think about it wisely. Those are the grounds we look at God's past record with us. Even when our prayers are unanswered, or even when we think in our lives what is happening right now is destructive and debilitating and I just don't get it, we can look at the past of our life and say, wait a minute, God has been faithful. It is no surprise to our people, 2016 was one of the most difficult years of ministry in our lives, in our lives. And there were things happening It's like, oh my goodness, I. I, don't, I can't get my head around this. It, it felt oppressive. It felt, it was a struggle. It was It was a problem. I mean, it was like, what are we doing? And God, in his goodness, just sort of opened up a curtain afterwards to say, look at, I'm in control of this. I'm in charge of this. And I am working all these things out for good. And in our lives, no matter where you find yourself as a believer, You can go to the past and see and trace the hand of God, how when we thought it would crush us, we're still standing. We all have a story, don't we? I mean, that one thing that I thought, oh my goodness, I don't, I can't, I just can't. And yet you're here. You've been here. And you can. His past is good with us. We look back and see that he has been gracious. Remember that we are coming to a faithful God. He's faithful. Listen to Lamentations chapter 3. You know the verse. You know the reference. It's the fall of Jerusalem. They're about to go into exile or they're in exile. There is pain and confusion. They're really in a bad place. And here's what Jeremiah says in chapter 3, verse number 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. And his hope is going to be in God's faithful covenant love. It is the Lord's mercy, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. And He tells us, listen, God is faithful, and we need to understand, not only is he generous, but when we come to him, the grounds of coming is that he is faithful to us. His track record is good. From Abraham to the empty tomb, he's kept his word. And from the risen Christ, until I finally reach the celestial city, he keeps his word. Our God is faithful. His track record is good. He does not fail. He will not fail. He cannot fail. He will complete the work that he's begun in you and me. That's our God this morning. The great need of prayer. We see this in First Kings 3, verse 8 and 9. The great need of prayer. Solomon says, I'm, I'm a child, man. I don't know what I'm doing. But the welfare of God's people is important to me. What we pray about and what we talk to God about reveals our hearts. And Solomon says what's important is God's people. He's worried about the people of God. Paul picks this up in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9. This is what Paul says and how Paul prays. I think this is instructive to all of us. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And this I pray... That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. We come into God's presence because he's generous with us. Our grounds is his past. But, but Solomon says, hey, my real concern, Lord, I don't know how to deal with these people. These are your people. They're a great people. I need wisdom. Is that how we pray? Or do we have our grocery list of what I want now? And never mention the needs of God's people or the needs of people who aren't God's people yet. When's the last time we begged God for the souls of men and women who are lost without Christ? Christ. We sit here and we're comfortable and it's good and we know him and yet we have family members and loved ones who are lost and they never make it to our prayers? Or do we pray for our marriages? As God's people saying, God, this thing represents Christ in the church and we're failing at it, we need your help. Or do we pray for our singles and say, God, this is a crazy world. Help them to be pure and a good testimony for you. Do we pray for our children who are being deceived by our systems that tell them there are no consequences for your actions. Do what you want to do. You don't need God. Oh, Lord, help them, protect them, save them from destruction. Here's Solomon the king. You know what he's concerned about? The peasants. Because they're people of God. What do our prayers look like? Do we even pray? Are we communicating with God? It's our needs. And when Paul prays for people, listen, I'm not saying we got lots of sick people, we got lots of people who are struggling, we got lots of people who are hurting right now, and we do pray for them, and we ought to pray for them. But I just wonder how often we pray for the, the, the spiritual needs of our people. And Paul says at the end of that, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness for us, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of Christ. And it's a reminder for all of us that if we're not spiritually mature, we're not helping anybody. God wants us to grow up and to look like Jesus. And the more we look like Jesus, the more beneficial we are to others. Look at the goal of prayer now. He's concerned for the people of prayer, God's people. And then the goal of our prayer, 1 Kings 3.10. 1 Kings 3.10. And the speech, please the Lord. It pleased the Lord. Our goal of our prayers is not just to get what we want, but it's for God's pleasure. There is something so pleasing about the pleasure of someone you're trying to please. Get that? No, I'll say it again then. Thank you. There is something so pleasing about the pleasure of someone you want to please. There is something pleasing about the pleasure of someone you want to please. Parents, you understand this. Christmas Day, right? Presents under the tree, and you're sitting back, and you're watching it happen. And it's really great when they're younger, because all you have to do is a box with nothing in it. The paper suffices. It's awesome. The kids, one like, oh, I got a box. It's like, this is great. You're saving me tons of money. It works until about they're 16 years old. Then they figured it out. Our kids, anyway. But isn't there a pleasure? Isn't Christmas better for you than that kid? I mean, that's been my experience. I watch it happen. It's like, my heart could explode. Um, I have sat at our table and watched our kids enjoy one of my favorite meals, and had tears. <laughs> That's weird. I was not even tired. But tears streaming down my eyes thinking, this is good. To see these kids enjoying something that I enjoy, bringing them pleasure, it's good. There's something satisfying in that. Every one of our boys played or is playing sports. And I've been amazed at every one of them. When there's a play on the field, and if I'm there, and they always know I'm there, they can hear me. Right? That's, this is true. They can hear me. They used to have uh, soccer out at Wallaceburg, and I'd go out there and cheer for the guys. And the Floyds, who live how many blocks away from the field? Two blocks away, knew I was there cheering for the guys. Well, yeah, we heard you. They, they know I'm there. And I, I got to tell you, it was always so cool for me, as the kids made a play, but the first place they looked was to me, right? I mean, it was the last week. And David's been playing football for McGregor. Um, McGregor has a terrible football team. They're, they're terrible they're anybody got kids in McGregor all right they're terrible I mean they're just terrible um, it's embarrassing terrible um, but he's playing and as he's playing he last week he rocked some guy he's playing defense and he just rocked some guy. I mean I mean you can hear the crunch it was awesome and uh, it's, it's a violent sport you could just and I'm watching on the field and I, I saw him pursuing this guy and it was just a crunch it was like Bam! And the kids crumble on the ground, and David gets up, and, the, and, I, and he looks at me, and it's like. Bah. Right? Something about bringing pleasure to someone that you love. In Solomon's prayer, God says, Your prayer pleased me. It just pleased me. And My friend, that is our purpose. I, I just don't go to God to communicate with my grocery list. I go to communicate and to bring him pleasure. Here's a little news flash for our generation or the young generation today. You are not the center of the universe. I know social media tells you that. And every event that you conquer, like getting up in the morning, has to be posted. Look, I just ate breakfast. Wow. Great job. You conquered breakfast today. It's so stupid. I mean, stupid. And we believe that we're the center of the universe. Can I tell you something? Christian, life is not about you. Ever. Husband, life ain't about you. Wife, life ain't about you. Kid, life ain't about you. Church, in our consumer mentality, What you got for me? I don't like that music. I don't like that worship. I'd rather, can I tell you something? It is not about you. It is never about you. It is not about me. It's about Him and Him alone. And we come to bring Him pleasure. Oh God, be pleased with what we're doing, or it's all vain. Doesn't matter. May we please him. Solomon's prayer brought brought pleasure to the God of heaven. May we do the same. And then finally, I want you to see this morning the gratitude of life. Through all of this, God says, come. He comes. God is generous. The grounds are his faithfulness. Um, He's concerned about God's people. Um, The goal is for his pleasure. And now I want you to see the gratitude of Solomon. In verse number 15, Solomon wakes up. Now, catch this. Solomon's been having this conversation with God. He says, Guy, I would just like to have, you know, just wisdom for your people. And God says, Hey, Solomon, because you asked this, I'm going to give you da 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 da. And he wakes up and he finds out it's a dream. So, he has no idea. Really, at this point, it's a dream. A dream. God has not, in his eyes, done anything yet. It was a dream. He has no idea what the response of this little um, dialogue with God in this dream is going to produce. He doesn't know if it will produce anything. But watch what happens after his communication. He wakes up, and he goes and he serves the Lord. Doesn't, it didn't matter if God answered or not. I wasn't concerned about that. He had just communicated with the king of heaven, and it didn't matter. He's going to go up and he's going to serve him. He's going to sacrifice for him. He's going to do whatever it is to please him, because there's more going on here than just having his request answered. He has no idea if it will be. And he comes, and he sacrifices, and he has a feast for God's people. Let me just close with this thought from Hebrews chapter 13. And Hebrews 13 is such a great text, and there's so much here, but, but just jump down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it in the middle because it starts really about verse 15. In um, 15, he's talking about a sacrifice of praise to God for all that he's done to do good works. Verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, work in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here the writer of Hebrew reminds us that because of what God has done for us to bring the sacrifice of praise, what is it? It's our life, it's our service, it's being perfect or complete in good works, and that's what God has called us to do. And when we come in contact with the God of heaven, for who he is and the way he's made for us to come. We glory in that. We communicate with him. We understand it's for his pleasure. We pray for God's people. We should get up then and go do something for God's people and God's glory and God's word. We should serve him. I don't know. I We're strange people. I'm sure this morning that you have somebody in mind that you would love to have an audience with. Right, You think, if I could just sit down with that person, that would be awesome. Maybe for you it's Trump. Maybe. Maybe to love him or hate him. I don't know, and I don't care. But maybe it's like, if I could just sit down, I could really talk some sense, or I'd take his phone, or I would, I would, I would thank him for what he's doing and the, and the good things that have been done here and quit being, whatever. Maybe it's Trump. Maybe it's Trudeau. Or not. I don't know, nor do I care. I don't. Maybe it's the queen. Maybe you think, I'd really like to meet the queen and sit down with her. Or someone from the past that would really be impressive to have a conversation with. Just to sit down with. You think, oh, that would be so cool. Okay. Yeah, that'd be cool. But you have been invited to the presence of the God of the universe. The maker of all things the holy, righteous King. And he has made a way for us to come. Boldly, through Christ. And yet we don't. We don't do it. And I think for most of us, not all, but most, we have no idea of the diamond sitting in our backyard. We're all over the place. We never stop and look at the God we have and the gift that he's given. And so here's my challenge this morning as we leave this place. Understand that we come into the presence of a holy God through the merits of Jesus Christ, and we should glory in that. We should we should be humbled by that. And he's made a way for us to come. And then here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to actually pray for people. I mean, really just pray for people. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. Pray for your church family. Pray for those who are struggling. Pray for the needs of your community. Pray for your neighbor. Pray, pray, Just pray. Say, God, thank you for the audience. Thank you that I can come. Thank you that I can cast my care upon you because you care for me. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your track record. Thank you for your love for me and love for your people. Just pray. Then grab some Christian and say, let's pray. There's a need, there's a problem, I'm concerned about this. Don't say, okay, that's great, I'll be praying for you. Stop and pray with them. Go boldly into his presence and say, God, we are your people. You've been generous. Your track record's good. We don't know the end from the beginning, but God, we need you. I just wonder if that might just change our lives. I just wonder if maybe our little stress levels would come down a bit when we understand who we're speaking to wonder if it would give us the strength and courage to live the life he's called us to live. Make a difference in the world that way. So, this is Solomon's prayer. I think there's some good examples in here. We take it, read it, and follow it.